You know, today's message is, is an important message. It's not to say that other messages we preach and teach here aren't important. Anytime you're teaching God's Word, it's important. But there are some messages that really prepare us for how we're going to navigate the challenges of life. This is one of those messages today that for a lot of people, it'll be important that they understand, this is what I do in time of distress and crisis. But this is also a message today that is going to be ultimately important, maybe even life-saving for some people who are at a serious crossroads today. So I want to pray before we open up God's Word, just ask God to prepare our hearts and speak to each of us today. Father, thank you for the honor of sharing your Word. Thank you for what you've put in my heart today. Now I ask you to prepare every one of us, those here in the room those who might be watching online and joining us later on, I pray you would speak to us right where we are and use your word for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. In a few minutes, we're going to look at a good part of Psalms 51. And I want to talk to you about David. And really, I want to isolate one scene from the life of David that I believe is so very important for all of us to learn from today. When you talk about David in the Old Testament, there are many scenes in his life. And it seems that those different scenes and seasons of life and stages that he went through seem to put a different label on the life of David. For example, if I mentioned David today, some would say shepherd boy. Some would say musician. Some would say psalmist because he wrote most of the psalms. Many of us would say giant killer. He killed Goliath and he became a hero in the nation of Israel. All of those labels would be correct. One of my favorite labels for David, God himself said, David is a man after my heart. He has a heart for what's in my heart. He wants to follow me. If you think about David, you might think about the innocent fugitive who was on the run for several years, hiding in caves from the angry King Saul. You think of David, you think of the golden boy of Israel. And then finally, you think of King David ruling God's people and building a great empire in his day. But in the scene that I want to look at today and what I want to talk to you about, David finds himself in a different circumstance and we find David labeled differently. For now he's being called an adulterer. Why? Well, because he was king. He could take her if he wanted to. And he did. And he fell into deep sin that had great consequences. We find in this scene in his life, David's also labeled a murderer. I mean, he was king. He could send this young man to the front lines and make sure he got killed in battle because he was king. He could do it, and he did. But we find now that David is hiding in his kingly residence living with the weight of bad choices. When David is 
confronted by Nathan the prophet. And there's a long story here I don't have time to tell, but basically Nathan comes and says, you are the man, you have sinned, you deserve judgment. Nathan calls out his sin. And what he does, we find that David is guilty. He's exposed. He's embarrassed. He's ashamed. He's separated from God's peace. And his future is in question. And I think at this time of life, David, in this scene, begins to ask himself the question, how do I move forward from here? With all I have done, with the mess I have made of all of this, taking advantage of my privilege and my position, how do I move forward? The blessing that I once had on my life, it's so different now. The labels that I had, they're all changing. How do I move forward from here? Actually, what happened to David can happen to any of us. A moment of anger, living under life's pressures, moment of lust, a dropping of the guard, and suddenly a life well lived becomes another tragic story of failure on the trash heap of life. Isn't it amazing how one huge failure can discolor a whole life? But I'm going to tell you today, that's not God's plan for us. Even when we fall into sin. So my question today as I begin this message is, what did David do? Because David restored his reputation. David lived the long life. And although he had consequences for his mistakes, he lived the life with God's hand and blessing upon him. But what did David do? How did he move forward from that place of sin and brokenness and despair? And what can we learn from David today that will help us in our journey of life? Well, I think we find some instructions and some direction for our lives in Psalms 51. David recorded, he wrote his prayer to God as he prayed from his heart at this most difficult season. And I want to examine not all of this psalm, but I want to look at much of it today. And I want to answer three questions that I think come to mind when we ask ourselves the question, how do I move forward from here? Look at Psalms 51, verse number 1. If you don't have a Bible with you or some kind of device, we'll have the verses on the screen. Verse 1, David cries out and says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, let me start this morning as I dive into this message. And let me just remind you, we have all made mistakes in life. Everybody give me a smile. 
elbow that person next to you say yeah i remember a couple of yours we've all made mistakes we have all sinned and fallen short of god's intentions for our lives so today i'm not singling out a person i'm talking to everybody today several years ago i had a minister friend who was preaching in in, in a church in uh, ministry services and he went out to eat with the pastor and his wife after church and after church, they were talking about some people's failures and mistakes they'd made. And this friend of mine made the statement to this pastor and wife, said, well, everybody's got skeletons in the closet they would just as soon not talk about. And this pastor's wife said, well, I don't. And my friend looked at her a minute and said, think about it a minute. And she sat there in about 10 seconds, suddenly her face flushed red. And he said, yeah, you remember, don't you? See, we've all made our mistakes. We've all had our failures in our sin. And hopefully it's under the blood of Jesus and we moved on with our lives. But I think the first question that we have to come to is when we make a major mistake in life, when we've got sin in our lives and we've failed along the way, the first thing that we wonder is how do I approach God with all of this? How do I approach God with all of this? We don't want to talk to God. We don't want to deal with God. We don't want people to know. We don't want anybody to know. But how do I approach God in this season of failure and sin? See, I think it's important to realize if you're at that moment in life, you're at a crossroads. And you've got two roads in front of you, one to the right and one to the left. And the question is, am I going to run to God or am I going to run from God? Well, I, I want to go to God, but how do I approach God with all this that I have created? And I think there's two things that we see in this chapter. Number one, approach God as he is. Approach God as he is. David, at this worst failure moment of his life, said, God, I look to you because you are a merciful God. I want to remind you today, we don't take our failures and sin lightly, but when we begin to deal with God and the mess we've made of life sometimes, we always have to come back to understand the nature of God. God is a loving God. He is a merciful God. And if our hearts are right, God is willing to help us no matter where we are and what has happened. God cares. He is a merciful God. So approach God as he is, as a God who is merciful and ask for mercy and ask for forgiveness. You know, God has made promises all throughout his word about his nature. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a forgiving God. He's a God of grace, but he's also a God of truth. And he wants us to approach him as he is. So in the middle of all of my failure, on my worst day and my worst moment ever, when I'm embarrassed, ashamed, standing naked before God, I come to God and I say, God, you're a merciful God. And I come to you today trusting your mercy. You know, one of the things I've learned from Scripture, from walking with God, is God's ways of dealing with things are not always what I expect they're going to be. How, how many of you learned God doesn't always do things the way you think he should do things? You know, in David's case, if you read the rest of the story, there were consequences for David's choices. 
There were consequences for his sin, short-term and long-term. And I'm not going to take the time to go through all of it today. But I think sometimes we come to God and we say, Oh, God, I know you're merciful, so this is no big deal, so I'm just going to overlook it and move on. We need to understand that God is a loving, merciful God, but he wants to help us deal with what put us in that situation. And he's merciful enough to do that. So I need to approach God as if he's a merciful God because he is. And then I need to trust his judgment that he will forgive me and strengthen me and cleanse me and help me move forward into a better life. But then there, there's a second part of this. How do, how do I approach God in all of this? Well, approach him as he is. But the second part is I need to approach him as I am. And I think in this instance, David realized, God, I need your help because I'm broken. I'm broken. I never dreamed I would ever be in this place. All those years running from Saul, all my youth when I was the hero of Israel, I never dreamed I would take advantage of my privilege and lower myself to this place to be an adulterer and a murderer. But God, here I am. This is who I am. This is what I am. I am broken and I need your If you skip down to verses 16 and 17 of this chapter, and I'm going to read them to you. I'm going to run to the end because it's really important what David says here. David in his prayer says, God, I know you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. You see, in David's day, Old Testament Israel... Worship was basically bringing sacrifices to God, animal sacrifices, sometimes other kinds of sacrifice, but something of value, something that's expensive. You give it to God, you kill it, it's taken away from you, it's burned, it's gone, it's out of your life, but it costs you something. But David realized in this moment, God, if all I had to do was bring you 10 cows, I'd do it. If all I needed to do was bring you a bunch of goats or a bunch of lambs, I would do it. But this is not really what you're after. What David is saying is, God, I know in this moment you want to reach down into the depths of my heart and you want to make some adjustments in my life. So I bring you all of my brokenness. It hurts. It hurts to admit I'm broken. God, I need help. There's stuff going on inside of me that's out of control and I have fallen on my face. Can you help me? In verse 17, David says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. It literally means, God, you won't disesteem me when I come to you with a right heart. I want to just talk to you about this for a minute. From my place of brokenness and guilt, I feel like I don't belong in God's presence. I, he, he will disesteem me. He won't welcome me there. Psalms 34, 18, David said, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Proverbs 3 says, Surely he scorns the scornful, but God gives grace to the humble. We find that very verse in Proverbs 3 quoted twice in the New Testament. God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. 
You see, humility is an invitation for God's help. When my heart is humbled and I accept the state I'm in and I come to God for help and I fall down before him and say, my heart and my life is broken and I come and lay it all at your feet and I need your help, that's a green light that says, God, please get involved in my life. But arrogance... Arrogance is a red light that says, God, I can deal with this myself. I don't really care what you think. I'm going to pick up the pieces, and I'm going to go ahead and make out of my life what I want it to be. And when I take that attitude, it basically says, God, I don't need your help. Now, through the years, I've watched a lot of people face this kind of crossroad. Major failure. Poor choices. You know, some of those people, I've watched them choose a road of humility and they've found help and turned their lives around. But I've also seen people choose the road of pride. It led to their ruin. Two stories real quick. Years ago, before I was pastoring here, I knew a man, young man, had the world by the tail. I mean, everything in life was great, making money, had a family, da-da-da-da-da. I don't know what happened, but somewhere along the way, he began to take advantage of his situation. Much like King David took advantage of his money, took advantage of relationships, did this, did that. He was on top of the world. He fell into sin. And it led to another thing and another thing. And instead of coming to God and laying it all out and getting help, he kept running down his own road. Years later, I got a phone call unexpectedly from him one day. And he's weeping and crying and he's telling me, my life has fallen apart. This is where I am. I am in bondage. I am in sin. I am broken. I am hurting. And I don't know what to do. And so I begin to walk him through Psalms 51 and explain to him, here's what God is looking for from you. And he shut me out and shut me off and basically said, you know what? I don't know if I believe any of that stuff anymore. I don't even know why I called you. I should have just kept this all to myself. I've seen him a few times through the years. His life's a mess. It just goes deeper and deeper into sin and despair because he said, God, I don't need your help. Can I tell you something? The only way to put the pieces back together again is to let the creator and the healer get involved in your life and show you how to move forward from where you are because that's what he does. But on the other hand, I can also show you a lot of people, and one comes to mind specifically. Several years ago, this young man came to me, and he'd fallen into a situation he never should have gotten involved in. It was a bad relationship. It began to have horrible effects on his family and his life. And I sat him down one day and talked with him for a while, and I began to explain to him this whole process out of Psalms 51. And tears began to run down his face. And he said, I realize now I've made a horrible mistake. My judgment was bad. I want to do what's right. I need God's help. And I watched that man in a matter of months put his whole life back together again. Watch God begin to bless him. And he's got a better life today than he could have ever created in a thousand lifetimes because of the goodness of God. That's God's plan for us. That's God's intention for us. I want to tell you today, if you're at the crossroad, choose humility. Submit your heart to God. Don't allow the brokenness to become hardness. Bring the brokenness to God and let him work. And then we come to a second question. There are three questions I'm going to address. Second question, what does God expect from me? 
In this broken moment, what does God expect from me? You know, I've learned through the years that a lot of people don't come to God because they're afraid of what God's going to ask. They're not knowledgeable of God's nature. They're not knowledgeable of the heart of God. And they take on an attitude that says, I'm going to stay away from God because I don't know what God expects. Look at verse number 3, Psalms 51. David said, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and I've done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to no wisdom. So what does, what does God expect of me? Let me make it really short and simple today. God expects me to own the truth and take responsibility for my actions and my sin. If any of you have ever been through 12-step programs, one of the first things you learn is you have to stop living in denial and take responsibility for your life you know where that comes from it comes from god's word it comes from psalms 51 when david approached god he came to god based on who god was and he came based on where he was in life but the next thing that happened was david said i take responsibility for my actions when adam and eve fell into sin in the garden Eve blamed the serpent. Is that right? Eve blamed the serpent. Adam blamed Eve. Wouldn't you love to be married to that guy? Adam blamed Eve. Isn't it funny in life we always have an excuse for our failures and our sins? God said, you want help? Let's talk about the truth. You own up to your part and I'll own up to my part. When we fall into sin, what do we want to happen? What is it we want? We just want it to go away. We don't want God to know about it. We don't want people to know about it. We just want to forgive ourselves and run on down the road and act like nothing ever happened. Everything's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Hey, this is just how life works. You know, in a lot of our church world today, that's, that's kind of the message we preach. God doesn't care. God doesn't care. God doesn't. Can I tell you something? God cares. Are you hearing me today? God cares. God cares about what has put us where we are. And David made no excuses. He took the blame. He said, I'm wrong. I've sinned. Now I'm going to date myself for about 20 seconds here, and then I'm moving on, okay? How many remember Flip Wilson? Flip Wilson was famous for one saying, the devil made me do it. Now, I love that. When, when I was probably a teenager, a young adult, when Flip Wilson's out there saying, the devil made me do it, the devil. And all of a sudden, every Christian I knew, every time they made a mistake, they said, the devil made me do it. You know what? That attitude, that philosophy won't get you anywhere with God. You've got to take responsibility for your own sin. When David talked to God, he said, this is my sin. It's my failure. I've sinned against you, and I owe you for this, so I'm coming to you because I want to settle this account. James chapter 1, James wrote this. Each one is tempted 
when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. David said, God, I'm wrong. I did it. I take responsibility. I did it. You see, sin is a big deal because sin separates us from God. And forgiveness of sin is a big deal. Only God can forgive sin because only God paid the price to forgive our sins. See, David realized this. He knew he'd sinned against Bathsheba. He knew he'd sinned against Uriah, her husband, when he had him killed. But what David did was he went to God and said, God, I am wrong and I have sinned against you. And I'm going to start right here because this is where reconciliation starts. If I'm going to have a future, I've got to deal with my actions. And I have sinned. Isaiah 53, famous verses from the Old Testament, as Isaiah saw the cross, he said he was wounded, Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the payment for us to live in peace was paid by him. I don't understand this, but as you read through Isaiah 53, it says it pleased the Father to put all of our punishment upon his own son. That goes beyond my thinking. But here's the point. God paid a huge price for our forgiveness, and God wants us to understand forgiveness is a big deal, and it costs a lot. It may not have cost you a lot at the moment, but it costs God a lot, and he wants us to always value the price that he paid to bring us into relationship with him. We need that forgiveness. It's a big deal. But it's also interesting. In this prayer of David, in Psalms 51, in Isaiah 53, you see two things in these verses that are so important. He talks about transgressions, which is my rebellion against God. And he talks about iniquity, which is my fallen nature that causes me to easily fall into certain kinds of sin. And Isaiah saw it. David talked about it. David even said, God, it's in my nature. There's always been this thing there, and I could always have what I wanted. And I saw this woman, and I decided I have to have her. It doesn't matter what it costs. And so I had the man killed. God, I am wrong, and I ask you to forgive me because there's something broken and wrong inside of me. He recognized God was paying the price for his forgiveness. God's grace, God's forgiveness doesn't come cheap. So I don't want to cheapen that grace. 1 John chapter 1 says this, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of you are glad today that God is willing to forgive us of our sins? But then the next verse... The very next verse says, If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. See, what David realized and what we need to understand today, i got to run to God with my sin, and I ask for forgiveness, and I own up to what I did. Then I ask for forgiveness. The interesting thing is, David said that God promises to give us wisdom to help us navigate the hidden struggles of our fallen human nature. See, the only way forward from here is to deal with what got me here. Sin is a matter of the heart. Forgiveness is a matter of the heart. 
Sin cannot destroy my walk with God. But a hardened heart can. So I need to be honest with God. That's what he expects of me. And then the third question. This is my favorite part of the message. How many of you always look for the good news? Every passage of scripture, I look for the good news. Sometimes there are warnings, sometimes there are commandments, sometimes there are instructions. I always look for the good part. What does God have to say about blessing? Can I tell you that God's intentions for you are good? Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. If you come with an honest, humble heart to God, God's going to begin to work in your life and his intentions are good. So the last question is, how does God see my future from here? Aren't you glad we got to this point? Some of you were sitting there thinking, boy, I thought we would never get to the good part of this message. Okay, we've got here now, okay? How does God see my future? I, I can imagine David. He's never been in this place before. I mean, he's made mistakes. He's, he's had God's judgment for different things. But he's never sunk to this place where he's an adulterer and a murderer. And I'm sure he's wondering... Is God going to kick me off the throne? Am I going to live in hiding the rest of my life? Am I always going to be ashamed of what I've done? Am I always going to feel this way? See, I think we all have those questions. And those questions often drive us from God. So how does God see my future? Three things real quickly in this passage. Number one, David says in verses 7 through 9, God will not... Hold my sin over my head. He will forgive me. Did anybody have a parent who was really historical with you? And not hysterical, historical. Every time, every time you started trying to move forward and talk about the future and how good things were, they'd bring up your mistakes. Anybody have a parent like that? Some of us, some of us might have. Yeah, always remembering, you did this, you did this. When you were a kid, you were good for nothing. You've always been good for Some of you raised with that. That's not the heart and nature of God. And what David prayed to God, he said, God, I know you're a God of mercy and I ask you to forgive me. But he said, if you will cleanse me, if you will wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. He said, God, I know you're not going to keep a record of this and hold it over my head forever god i know you're going to hear help me hear joy and gladness and good things and all this pain i'm dealing with now you're going to bring healing and it's all going to be different in the future so god i thank you because you're going to hide your face from my sin and from my iniquities Can i tell you what god does with sin when we ask forgiveness humbly honestly before him god chooses to remember it no more that's what God does. He chooses to remember it no more. I remember it. My spouse may remember it. My family may remember it. My friends may remember it. The people I've offended may remember it. But God chooses to remember my sin no more. And God says, they can't control your future. I'm the one who controls your future. And I will show you how to move forward from here. God will not hold your sin over your head. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is no condemnation. 
to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'd like to do a whole message on this soon. Maybe I will. But do you know one of the things that Satan is called? He's the accuser of the brethren. He runs around pointing out all your faults. He always is digging up the past and trying to bring it back to light. And God says, I chose not to remember that anymore. Let me tell you something. If God forgives you, you can forgive yourself and move forward because God has a better future for you. Trust him. Trust him. And then the second thing that the psalmist recognized here, he said, God will not abandon me. Somebody needs to hear this today. Somebody in this room right now needs to hear this. You're sitting there in this brokenness and this failure and sin. You're thinking, well, what do I do now? What's God going to do? Let me tell you something. God is never going to abandon you. Never, ever, ever. But he is going to begin to restore you. The word restoration in Old Testament and New Testament language means to take something, to work on it, to restore it, to rebuild it until it gets right back to where it was when it got broken and then it can move forward into a better future. Not only is God not going to hold your sin over your head, God's going to be there day by day by day working in your life to restore you. See, the, the psalmist David cried out and said, God, create in me a clean heart. He recognized what got him there. He recognized something was broken inside. And his prayer was, God, change my heart. Create in me a clean heart. And renew a steadfast spirit in me. What he was saying was, God, do something of healing deep inside of me. That deals with the source of my failure and my sin. Change me from the inside out. And David also said, Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. See, one of the lies the devil has used for a long, long time in the church world is to tell you if you sinned an ugly sin, you will be a second-class citizen the rest of your life. That's not scriptural. That's not in the Bible. When we come to God and ask for forgiveness, he begins a work of restoration in our lives, and his plans have not changed. He will carry you through the rest of your life. He'll not abandon you. He'll restore you and give you the life he intended you to have. That's the heart of God. That's the desire of God. He'll work patiently to restore us from the inside out. The very last part of this, the third promise that David cited. David said, God has a joyful, godly, productive life ahead of me. And what he said at the end of this, or toward the end of this psalm, he said, God... Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You can't live with joy while you're living with shame. You can't live in joy while you're living with regrets. You can't live with joy while you're carrying your own burden of sin. But once you give it to God and he lifts it off of your shoulders, he begins to restore the joy, the godly life that's rightfully yours. David said... God, in the future, I'm going to be able to help other people who fall on their faces like I did. And I'm going to lead them to you. And what has happened in my life is going to wind up being a blessing to other people. 
He said, God, my tongue's going to sing praises to you in the future because you're going to restore me to a healthy, godly, productive life. You see, David proved a tragedy can become a testimony if I walk it out humbly with the Lord. I want to pray for you today. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads. Quiet moment, solemn moment. Father, I thank you for your word today. This is a word of instruction. It's a word of warning. It's a word that can help us navigate issues in the future. But it's also a word that can meet some people right now, right where they are, who are at a crossroads, trying to figure out what do I do with my life and how do I go forward from here. God, I pray today that your word that we've shared in this psalm, this prayer of David, would ring in our hearts. You've spoken to each one of us about things we need to know and recognize in our own lives. Take your word and work in us. We open our hearts. We receive your word today to shape us, to instruct us. Father, there are some people in this room needing forgiveness right now, and they open their hearts to you. God, we we need your help. We need your help. We need forgiveness. We need your mercy. There are people dealing with brokenness in this house, people listening online, dealing with brokenness because of choices they've made. God, we ask you to meet us right where we are. We come to you humbly and we lay it all at your feet. Father, we all want to move forward into the blessings that you have for our future. So we trust you today. We trust you. We take ownership of our sin. We accept it for what it is. But then we give it to you and we ask you to cleanse us in Jesus' name. Start a work of restoration in people's lives. God, I pray you to lift shame, guilt off of people's hearts, off of their consciences, and give them a clean start with you in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask everybody here today, while your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, everybody watching online or listening to this later in a podcast, I'm going to ask everybody pray this prayer with me right out loud. Say, God, I need your help. I ask you to forgive me. I need your mercy. I acknowledge my sin, but I know you will forgive me. So I trust you today. Cleanse me. Strengthen me. Help me overcome my weaknesses. Put me on the right path with you. I want to continue to my journey with you. I will trust you. I will yield to you. And I will see your blessing in my life. Because you are a faithful God. I thank you. Amen. Amen. In closing this morning, a couple things. How many, how many really had God's word speak to you about some things today? I'm not saying how many of you are ashamed of yourself. That's not what I'm saying. How many of you realize there's power in this message from God's word today? 
This is, this is instruction for our future. For some people, it could be life-changing and life-saving right now. Trust God. Walk it out with Him. Let Him work. He'll lead you through to a better life. If you today have never given your heart to the Lord, but as we prayed a few minutes ago, you, you prayed that prayer with us. That's just the beginning of your relationship and your journey with God. We want to help you on that journey. We've got a little booklet we'd love to give you. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's just simple reading for the next week to help you understand God's plan for your life, how much he loves you, what it really means to know God and walk with God. We want to give it to you. When service is over, there'll be prayer teams at the front of the building. Just walk up to one of these teams and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you, no strings attached. If you've got questions, they can help you. If you need prayer for something else going on, they can help you with that as well. If you're in a really big rush out in the middle of the lobby as you exit the glass doors, right in the middle, there's a counter set up there. You can get the same booklet there the next seven days. We simply want to help you get started walking with God. We want you to see God's blessing in your life. So please let us give these books to you today. I promise it'll help you on your journey with God. Can we put our hands together and welcome new believers into God's family? God bless you.